What's going on, boys and girls? We have a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. We had Eric Stone, state chairman for APF, part of the APF Executive Committee, and part owner of 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois. Great conversation interview we had with him. We actually talked a little bit about IPF Worlds, if USAPL should distance himself from the IPF. Um... His journey as a equipped powerlifter, how he became affiliated with APF and directing meets, his philosophies on running an effective meet, our two white lights topic of the week, what are you doing as meet director to put on the perfect meet for your competitors, and some of the annoying things he's been asked at powerlifting meets. Uh, we also discussed what gets him excited to coach powerlifters because he's a terrific coach for Team Stone and what his legacy is going to be in the sport of powerlifting and some future plans for upcoming APF, WPC, and WPO meets coming in uh, October. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you guys about Rival Us. Go to RivalUs.net and get yourself supplements that can help enhance your performance, pre-workout, proteins, multivitamins, you name it, they got it. Go use Angelo15 and get 15% off any supplement or accessories, clothing, you name it, you can get it. 15% 15% off, use promo code ANGELO15. Also be on the lookout for a giveaway for some cereal-flavored protein powders, my favorite flavored protein powders out there are the cereal ones, so be on the lookout for that on my page, but in the meantime, use promo code ANGELO15 for 15% off any supplement. Also, Two White Lights is available on Spotify. Be sure to follow us, be sure to listen to us, and with here is Two White Lights. Monday, June 10th, we are here, well actually two of us are here in Lombard, Illinois, Bane is FaceTiming, but where are you FaceTiming from, dude? Uh, San Francisco, you know, um, I mean, it, it is Pride Month, so it makes sense, I'm out here. Is that why you went? I, I'm actually enjoying the fact that it is Pride Month out here, but no, that is not why I'm here. Oh, okay, I was wondering. Yeah. Well, so, it would have been here. a good vacation spot for this month. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, the, the parties last night were, I mean, even at our hotel here by the airport, which isn't exactly a hot spot, it was so off the chain, so I was not mad. Well, I know what I'm probably going to do next year at this time, because I could use some free drinks, but it's Pride Month everywhere, it's Pride Month here in Lombard, and the reason why I'm in Lombard is because I'm at 2XL Fitness with the one, the only, Mr. Eric Stone. How are you, man? I'm good. Thank you guys I think it's my intro, it's bogus. I did it, I hijacked it, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I'm here it's in the fine. room with him, so I think I get to do it because I'm in the room with him. He's you know literally what? I'm touch I'm touching him right now. You guys can't see on the podcast. He's I'm sitting on his lap actually because one show I said I would marry APF and Eric Stone because it's my it is my favorite federation still. I was just looking forward to throwing in the takes the State Farm joke, but you know what? Now it's, <laughs> it's been ruined. So well, you got to send me these things. You got to send me the jokes if you want to say them, but. Was that a screw, marry, or kill segment I missed? It was uh, It was actually FMK, so it was fuck, marry, kill, uh, part of my language. But <laughs> it was... We can say those things on Spotify. Yeah, we're on the explicit 
iTunes and Spotify, so we can't say that. But yeah, with Matt Wallace, it was FMK, USAPL, APF, and um, USAPL. And I said Mary, APF. I said your wifey material. Excellent. Because, uh, like <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the rationale behind it was USAPL. Everyone wants to compete there, but they're kind of pain in the ass to deal with, much like a mistress would be. I mean, I, no one in this room knows exactly how a mistress would act, but I'm saying USAPL, kind of the pain in the ass federation, that, but it kind of has that sexy feel to it. APF, chill, rules are fair, still have fun. You could go there every single year and still have a good time with it. It's local. It's easy to go to. Mary. It's a marriage. It's a marriage federation. I think I think Matt Wallace said he'll kill you though. I'm sorry to throw him under the bus, but he said it live, so that's his fault. That that's a different conversation right there, I think. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of federations, we have IPF Worlds going on right now. That's in Stockholm, correct? Sweden. Yes. Now, the reason why we bring it up, and we didn't do the whole preview thing like most podcasts do, uh, we didn't do the recap, and we can't really recap because I think it's going on till tomorrow, I think correct? Tuesday, yeah. yeah. I think Tuesday's the last day. So, really great competitors competing at IPF Worlds, but I saw uh, Sean Noriega post this on his story, uh, Hamstring Poppy. Yep. Um, he posted this, and it made me think pretty much the same thing. He posted that... The IPF, the current world competition that's going on right now, doesn't have that much hype surrounding it. People aren't really looking forward to a whole ton of matchups going on. There's not a whole ton of pull as far as like the average powerlifter goes to actually follow the event. And he suggested that because more people are interested in USAPL Nationals and USAPL events, say, at the Arnold or the uh, Raw Nationals coming up in October, that... USAPL doesn't necessarily need the IPF, and this is another reason why USAPL should break away from it. So I thought it was an interesting thought to have, and I saw some logic behind it. I, of course, have two extremely intelligent people when it comes to federations and federations, powerlifting, and, you know, what the overall interest is. So what do you guys think? Is USAPL better off separating from the IPF, or USAPL needs the IPF? Uh, what what are your thoughts on that? I would say no. I mean, I think the USAPL wants the IPF for that ultimate, you know, true world championships. I still think it's probably in their goals to be in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And the only organization with any kind of connection to the IOC is the IPF. Okay. Now, whether they're ever going to be in the Olympics or not is an entire another question. But they are in the World Games. Um, now, I would say this. I do think the IPF needs the USAPL more than the USAPL needs the IPF. Okay, why is that? Just because I think the USAPL is probably one of the most popular slash well-attended organizations in the world. Okay. Um, And they're bringing probably more lifters to the overall IPF than probably any other country, if I Mm -hmm. had to make a guess. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, and that's the reason why the hype around USAPL Nationals is greater, because United States lifters are probably a lot better. It's just the talent pool here is higher. I mean, isn't it just a, a case of bias of, sure, American lifters are more interested in other American lifters. So mm-hmm. the people we follow on social media, um, maybe at least me, they're mostly U.S. lifters, so they're going to be more interested in other U.S. lifters. Mm-hmm. And there's only 
you know, a few select people that make it to IPF Worlds. Yeah. Yeah, like two in a weight class, I believe. One or two in each weight class. Uh, I mean, I, I have my beef with the USAPL in general. I just, I, you have beef with IPF, too, so. Yeah, I, I, I just don't care for either one of them. Yeah. But I, I agree with Eric. I definitely think that the IPF needs USAPL more uh, than, the la- than the reverse. Simply because, yeah, there, there's a deeper pool. And from what I see, even if, as I start, I try to dig out in the other federations and understand, like, where the lifters are and, as far as the top-level elite international lifters, the other countries just simply don't produce them for whatever reason in those particular categories. Uh-huh. Now, you get outside of the drug-tested, there's a lot of very, very strong international competitors. Uh, so that could be it. Is that they, they're just saying, hey, it's not illegal, so just you know, go with the state-sponsored drug program. We don't have to worry about it. and just lift the biggest weights. Yeah. So so I, I do think that you know here in the U.S. we have this – uh, it's still the stigma with steroids, and so people are like, yeah, I want to compete in the USAPL because it's drug tested and supposedly the most heavily tested, and so thereby I can prove to everybody that I'm the strongest tested mm-hmm. person out there. So I think that we just we put a lot more emphasis on it than some of the other uh, international federations do, simply because they just say, hey, the, why worry about breaking the rules when we can just follow the rules and, and make stronger athletes? So many of these federations are state sponsored, whereas ours are not. Yeah, you know, we talk about a lot that this is a hobby that mm-hmm. we do, right? We all pay you to do this versus, you know, I don't think your Belkins had a traditional job in his life. The guy's super strong. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. But, you know, the Russian uh, federations have paid for him to travel, to compete, to train. I would say the majority of his adult life, if not his entire adult life. So, yeah, what a life that is. Man, well, it's, it's rough, right? And so bear it's, in it's mind, just different. I was going to say, well, bear in mind that the USAPL has not always been the affiliate to the IPF. The USPF was the organization that was the first official breakoff federation from the AU in powerlifting. They started the IPF, and it was in some political maneuverings that the USPF was kicked out of the IPF, and what was at that point, I believe the ADFPA, the American Drug-Free Powerlifting Association, uh, obtained IPF affiliation in the U.S. and changed their name to USA Powerlifting to match up with you know, the other Olympic sports mm-hmm. organizations like USA Weightlifting, USA Volleyball. USA yep. Basketball, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's not yep. totally out of the realm of possibilities that one would separate from the other. Yeah. Well, then I'm, I'm seeing. I think I'm seeing a lot more of USAPL lifters having an issue with IPF because Bayon had to bring this to my attention. A few iffy calls on American lifters coming from IPF judges, and this I for one heard this before, but I kind of didn't believe it because I just I always. I always doubt those things when it comes from other people because I just, like, I got to see something to believe it. Now I'm actually seeing stuff, and I'm seeing some, you know, low squats getting one red light where, you know, it's, I know it's two white lights. Two white lights are what matters. Two white lights what we need. Two white lights is perfect. If you're getting anything higher than that, you're trying too hard. But in certain cases, like, okay, you're getting a red light. What if, you know, it's like you you want to have that other judge to lean on to get you that other white light. And if they don't give you that, then it's going to be an unfair call. And it seems as what I've seen right now, at least with the female competitors, like they're being a little bit biased towards European or other international lifters and not necessarily towards American lifters. So you have USAPL people who are like, I don't really want to compete in IPF anymore because we're getting some shitty calls. Yeah. I've seen at WPC worlds. Um, there's been some Russian judges that have been pulled off the platform Mm-hmm. Because I've seen them literally red light anybody who wasn't a Russian. And I've seen squats that were deep. And 
a Russian judge barely gave a, a white light to anybody. Yeah. So I've seen it happen, and that's and I'm sure they have a similar rule in the IPF where you cannot have or should not have, you know, all three judges from the same country. There should be some variation in the countries of the judges for that reason. Um, mm-hmm. They do it in most sports, too. I know for the World Cup, whatever team's playing, they have someone from a different nation officiate the game or several different nations officiate the game. They won't have it from a team that's uh, the same origin as a ref. So, yeah, that's that would be a smart thing to do, but I just I don't know where the origins of these people, the ethnicities of the, the judges are coming from, but it just seems like an IPF. There's You know when we talk about elite, uh, elitism with the federations, USAPL has that stigma of being the elitist federation. IPF is like the top elite, uh, elitist uh, attitude. It's, it's Illuminati powerlifting is what it yeah. stands for. It's like there's levels to it because in America, it's like, oh, the USAPL lifters think they're better than everyone else. But then with IPF, it's like, well, IPF thinks that they're better than the USAPL. And they kind of, they're. it's like the USAPL is at the will of the IPF a lot of times. So breaking off, I think, would be a logical thing for them to do. Um, but I also think a lot of USAPL lifters would like to compete in IPF Worlds. I know if I was asked to compete in IPF Worlds, I would love to be one of the select few people to compete for Team USA. That would be a terrific thing to go to, but at the same time, I don't think I'll continuously go to those world competitions. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, I was going to follow up with that. Would you want to do it more than once? Yeah. Uh, I mean, even USAPL, I don't know if I want to do more than once, so... I mean, I think you're downplaying the importance of the affiliation of the IPF for USAPL lifters. Again, I still think probably the IPF needs the USAPL more than vice versa at mm-hmm. this point, but I still think at least one of the reasons why the USAPL is so popular is because they've got that high-level world championship, mm-hmm. the affiliation with the IPF. You know, you think about what is drawing people to organizations, A, to start, but then B, why did they stay there? Yeah. Um, do they just stay there because they like the meets that they run, or is there an ultimate goal that they want to get to? Um, and the APF, which we'll talk about later, for many years it was the WPO at the Arnold Classic, and that that drove people to APF meets and drove people to do geared APF meets because the goal for a lot of those lifters was eventually to compete at the WPO. I think if you take away that ultimate goal from the USAPL, I, I still think they probably would be a popular organization. You look at the USPA, who does not have as strong of an international, you know, body as the IPF is, and they certainly have lots of meets and lots mm-hmm. of lifters, um, but not as big as the USAPL. Yeah, sure, for sure, and uh, yeah. So wrapping up with the IPF World is probably gonna be done Tuesday. There's still some really great competitors gonna be competing there. Um, I think we had Shane Nutt on the uh, show before, and he said once people win IPF Worlds, they kind of dip. So. Like, you saw it with Hack, you saw it with a lot of other people. It's like, you win IPF Worlds, and it's like, okay, I'm going to take my talents elsewhere or try different supplements that they don't allow and do different federations. So um, we'll see with some of the, like, repeated winners of IPF Worlds. Yeah, that's going to be done Tuesday, I believe. So we'll probably give a better recap of this next show, next installation. But until then, like I said before, he just gave a really really good insight on the federations oh by the way uh before we get into this fmk really quick bane uh usapl apf and uspa we didn't do it with you no you didn't uh fuck the usapl i would kill them oh Uh, hold hold on that was confusing yeah i know (laughs) so you're killing them 
Yeah. Okay. No, kill them, hundred percent. Kill them twice. Bring them back from the dead. Kill them again. Okay. Uh, I would marry the APF. So you're stuff. probably not going to be able to handle me because that was some pretty disparaging thing you just said about the USAPL. Even if they allow you to, they because they obviously listen to you uh, to two white guys. I'm sure they do. Like, they're going to say it's the fat one. Get him. <laughs> so I mean, you just said whatever. kill them. You just killed them like six times. All right. So you're yeah. killing USAPL. Yep. And then the USBA. Yeah. You know what? I. I, I I feel like with the USPA, like, it's a lot of these lifters that are in there that they got some of these big numbers. It's sexy. Like, there's some flash-in-the-pan guys in there. Like, it's kind of what a mistress is. It's kind of something you just want to, you know, one one time hit it and quit it. That's how I kind of see the USPA. So, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's who I'd fuck. Kill the USAPL and, you know, APF is better each take home to mom. For sure. I like it. I agree. APF, <laughs> APF is wifey material. They are. So, they are, man. Yeah, we got with us today Eric Stone. Broke me into powerlifting. I went to his beginner seminar uh, right before the summer bash. Uh, I was intimidated by the whole like powerlifting atmosphere kind of thing, and Eric Stone kind of put my nerves at ease with the soothing voice and the very calm demeanor. <laughs> so um, a lot of people ask about... Made your uh, first time real easy with that, didn't he? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so from that, uh, and you... You were the meat director for the summer batch, correct? And um, really quick, give uh, kind of like a little uh, tidbit of what your like current titles are. Okay, so currently I am the Illinois State Chairman for the APF. I have been so probably for 12 to 13 years at this point, believe okay. it or not. Um, I am on the APF Executive Committee, which is the body that you know, votes on things for the APF. You know, we would vote that, that's on... That's fairly recent, correct? Yeah, uh, the passing of Bruce McCord, who is a yep. longtime uh, Illinois referee, very good buddy with Dick Venza, and they ran the state meet for many years, had an unfortunate motorcycle accident, so I, I took his spot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we're the body that votes on national meets. If there's any local rule changes, um, we would vote on that. Um, and then I am one of the owners of 2XL Powerlifting, here in Lombard, a gym and meat promotion company. Yeah, and I think most of the people ask or are curious about meat directing, being on the executive board for APF, and the facility you uh, own and operate, but how did you get your start into powerlifting? Because at a point, you were a fairly successful competitor as well. Yeah, so I started actually, believe it or not, back in high school, so I'm almost 20 years into the sport, uh, which is longer than some of our members have been alive. Mm -hmm. Um, True, not wrong. (laughs) So, yeah, I started in high school with football, really loved lifting weights, and just through searching on the Internet, found powerlifting through GoHeavy.com, which was one of these early, you know, bulleted board message boards. um, Oh, yes. That everybody went on back in the day and found that the APF at that time was uh, headquartered in Aurora, Illinois, which is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So I did my first meet in 2000 uh, at 17 years old, the APF Illinois State Meet on the third floor of Franz Gym. Um, through the years, um, you know, found that I liked powerlifting more than football and eventually gave up football to focus more on powerlifting in college um, and then got involved in helping with the meets. Uh, I, you know, you can only compete so many times in a year. So at a certain point, I wanted to continue to get involved in powerlifting um, I decided to major in exercise science in college okay. and wanted to be a strength coach. So I wanted to get more involved in powerlifting and eventually became a referee. And then, you know, I can get into the story of how I became a meet director as well. But from a powerlifting perspective, yeah, I started off as a teenager, 
believe it or not, uh, newbie powerlifters, back in those days, there was no raw powerlifting. Mm-hmm. So, <gasps> no! My first meet, I went to Franz Gym. I bought a double-ply poly squat suit. I used that for all three lifts. Nice. I, I think maybe my third meet, I got a denim bench shirt. So I basically never lift, competed raw until raw became a thing you know, later. Um, and I'd like to go into that later, but I'll, I'll stay on topic okay. with what we're talking about <laughs> now. Um, I have a whole, I don't know if rant is the right word, but um, I have a whole history of when Raw even became a thing. And that's not to say anything disparaging about Raw. I, yeah. think, I think Raw is good, but uh, the history of the sport is generally geared. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I started. Um, I guess I should give my best lift because it seems like some people don't even remember that I've lifted in a meet since most of the meets in the area I run. It's challenging yep. to lift in them. Uh, I've got best lifts of 727. Uh, recently did a PR bench of 457 and have deadlifted 551, all geared and all at 181. Okay. Where, where, where was that uh, 457 bench at? That was at APF Nationals down there in uh, South Carolina. With, you got a superior handoff for that with one. With one Robert Bain handing off to me and <laughs> one Jennifer Gimmel yelling at me as I was lifting. She's good at that. Yeah, and I'll very let very you good. say superior for this show and the show only. But remember, you gotta. But um, oh, he's waving at me. He's very yeah. I, I love Bane when he's on Facetime. He's very cordial and nice. But yep. yeah, yeah, that, studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is how I got my started in powerlifting. Um, in college, again, I said I majored in exercise science. Um, I decided to not become a college strength coach that I initially thought I would be because mm-hmm. that is many hours for low pay. Uh, props to all the strength coaches out there. Um, you know, you could have a job at Southeast Missouri State making twenty five grand. You know, coaching the girls cross country and long distance track team. You know, and eventually work your way up to Central Illinois State, which there probably isn't isn't, isn't that college. Um, you know, you got to work. It's like any coaching; you got to work your way up. I wasn't really willing to move around the country and you know to find a strength coaching job. So instead, I took a job right out of college. Um, working at an athlete training facility, and which has eventually led to me where I am now. Okay. Real cu- curious before we get into other stuff, because you're 181 powerlifter, and you had like kind of the same start, because high school football is where I picked up a weight. What position did you play? Yeah, I was a place kicker, believe it or not. Oh, um, cool. I played a little bit of like, you know, we'll say uh, receiver and defensive back, like freshman and sophomore year, but okay. let's face it, I'm 5'5". Five, five, I'm, at that time, I was probably 170 pounds. Um, I went to West Aurora, which was not a good football program at that time, but did play a lot of other good football programs like Naperville Central and Naperville mm-hmm. North. So at 5'5", 170, I wasn't going to do much else other than be a place kicker. Um, God, both I, of you guys were better than I was in high school. <laughs> well, I was 5'5", 180, and I played defensive line, so that was uh, yeah. that was a bit of a different situation. I was just curious, like, what do – like, what – for everyone who started powerlifting, what position they start off playing, and yours actually makes sense. Mine doesn't make any sense, which yeah. made which the reason why I had to lift a bunch of weights because I was going to get murdered. Yeah, I, I was a, I was a soccer player and then switched over to football. I oh, just nice. I was better, probably better at soccer, but I just liked football as a sport. Okay. Liked watching football, liked being on a football team, so figured, well, let me find a spot where I can be useful, and that spot was place kicker, at least in high school. Mm-hmm. Fair, fair. All right, so how did you then transition to getting involved with APF and then meet directing? Sure. So my first meet was APF, and again, Ernie Franz's gym was 10 minutes from my house growing up. So 
at some point in college, I started training at Franz Gym. I actually first trained with the Merosher powerlifting team at Richie's High School. Um, that's actually where I met my wife, Jackie. Fun little tidbit there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the school in which she currently teaches. And Monster Garage Gym previously was just the Merosher powerlifting team and was yep. uh, Eric Merosher was the assistant principal there, and that's where he started his team. Um, so I had always kind of been with the APF, and when I started training at Franz Gym, um, I just wanted to get involved and okay. help out with the meets. So I became a referee probably, oh my gosh, that would have probably been in 2003 maybe. Um, and it was just kind of happenstance that I became a meet director. Um, one of our teammates, she mostly worked out of the gym up in Waukegan, um, but she came down on Saturdays and trained with the Franz team. Um, the gym that she normally worked out at or, or midweek workout would do was looking for someone to run a meet there. It was a gosh, what powerhouse gym in Waukegan. And okay. the owner had had a couple meets there before, and he wanted someone to run a meet out of his gym. And she had asked me to ask Ernie. You know, at that time, Ernie was probably in his 70s and just probably wasn't really interested in running a smaller meet. Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, you know, why don't you run it, Eric? And I thought, well, oh. he probably said it offhanded, not thinking I would actually do it. But when he said that to me, I said, oh, well, maybe that's something I can do. Um, and started from there. And uh, I think one of my strengths as a meet director is that I'm fairly organized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at that time, I owned no equipment. Um, I borrowed everything from Ernie. Um, I had no money. Uh, you know, had to start a checking account just to just to run the meet. And But I think my, my skill of organization, along with help from Ernie, Franz, and then help from my other previous coach, Maris Sternberg, who has since passed, but she helped me out quite a bit with, you know, the, the scoring and the organization. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, back in 04, that first summer bash, yeah. know, we're now coming up on the 16th summer bash, so that's how long I've been running meets. Um, there was no computerized scoring. Everything was done by hand. Yeah. When I had suggested, hey, why don't we use Excel to do the scoring, that was like, whoa, that was... Revelation knowledge. That was like crazy because they had so always... So you are proficient in Excel? I would say I'm pretty proficient in Excel. Okay. So you don't have to lie about that in your resume like I do. All right, continue. <laughs> um, yeah, and everything was done by hand. We didn't even have the, the computer program to put the bar weight on there, so... As a junior judge, it was always my job to look at the loading chart uh-huh. and find, okay, what's the weight, and then yell out the plates to the loaders and spotters. Yeah. As the young judge, that was always my job because the older judge said, well, you know, I can't I can't read what's on there. Eric. You're younger. You can read that. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> well for, you mentioned the organization and everything, and I've said this several times on the show. Every single meet that I've uh, competed in APF that you've run has been the most organized as far as – Understanding what the rules are, wh- and what exactly uh, the materials that we get beforehand, the kilo loading chart, all that kind of stuff, being very clear. This, when you weigh in, you put in your openers here, um, and then what you're supposed to do after weigh-ins, and all that kind of stuff. Get your rack height and all that kind of stuff. It's a very proficient way of doing things. And once you kind of get into a different federation with a different meet director, you see, like, oh, I guess not every federation is or not every meet is run. That in that way it's sure. a lot of times it's not as organized and people are quick to blame the federation and not the meet director which is a very strange bizarre thing that i've been seeing recently but yeah what people have to realize is that you know the individual meet directors are almost like franchisees you know of a say a <laughs> restaurant you know they may have an overall menu of what they want you to do 
but the way and they manage it is going to be totally mm-hmm. dependent on, you know, in the case of a franchise, the individual owner operator, yeah. um, and it's even more so on powerlifting, especially with, you know, organizations like the APF that maybe aren't, you know, as strict and top down run like say the USAPL or USPA. Um, you know, we give a little bit more flexibility to our meet directors. I would say, you know, yeah. maybe. If you think about it in the political realm, we're more libertarian in the way that we do things. So you will see a little bit more variability in meat directors. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is a lot dependent on the individual meat director. Now, there's always some oversight as someone that's now on the executive committee. I try to go out to, you know, some of the bigger meats and try to go to some of the local area meats that other individuals run and try to make sure that they're doing things, you know, up to par with mm-hmm. what we want. Um, and I don't think that's something that was always done in the past mm-hmm. but yeah I, I would say in general to answer your original question yeah the the meat director is the person that is ultimately responsible for you know the organization of the meat the securing of the spotters the securing of the judges um, unless it is an organization run meat like I know that the USAPL equipped nationals was run by the national office mm-hmm. um, the APF national office does organize some of the bigger meets for the Amy Jackson. So okay. if it's national office organized, then yeah, I'd say you could you could blame the federation. But a lot of times, it's it is going to be an individual meat director that mm-hmm. is responsible. Now, certainly, they do have to be accountable to the the head of whatever that organization is. Yeah. Uh, because they, at the end of the day, they do have to get their meat sanctioned and pay their sanction fee and have it officially as part of the organization. But the individual meat director is the person that's kind of the on the ground floor doing a lot of that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And that, that was our very similar to our topic. If you're a meat director for a day, what are you doing to put on a perfect meet? And that's why I worded that way. Meat director, not federation. Because I think people misconstrue those things a lot, and it's frustrating every single time they do. Because, like, well, you that's USAPL for you. They don't have the, the proper uh, the proper equipment for it. It's like, I don't know if it's USAPL. Maybe it's just meat director. And same thing with USPA. It's like, well... The USPA has got a problem on their hands. Like, oh, the meat director is more the problem, not exactly USPA. Sure. I would say it becomes an issue of the organization if mm-hmm. they don't address that. With well, the yeah, and they're, and they're part the of the future. organization, so right. So if they have to be held accountable. If there's an issue with equipment or mm-hmm. with spotters or with just the overall organization of a meet, you know, the first step is for the organization to come in and, and talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, we heard some complaints or we saw online there was X, Y, Z. You know, why did this happen? Give us your side of the story, and how can we, you know, rectify that in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't rectify it, then it's on the organization to say, hey, you know, we don't want you running our meets anymore. Um, you're not doing things up to snuff of, in our case, the APF. And we have done that in the APF. We've rarely publicized any of that, but, you know, there's been times when there's been meet directors that just, they've not followed protocols, and we've basically said, we're not going to sanction any meets. We'd rather have quality over mm-hmm. quantity you know we yeah. don't just want a bunch of meats run under our name if it doesn't you know set up to the standards that we want it to be okay yeah it makes a lot of sense and uh that's that's a good way of kind of like it, it's like you're an employee at a point when you're a meat director it's like if you're not doing your job as an employee then you're probably going to be asked to do something else or asked to leave yeah or maybe even more like an independent contractor would be a better analogy because better analogy i like that a lot there more. is you know, more freedom because I don't work for the APF per mm-hmm. se. I'm not paid as part of the executive committee. I'm not paid as the state chairman. Now, as the state chairman, I have the opportunity to run meets in which, you know, obviously the goal is to 
in part to, to make money on those meats, but yeah, I'm not paid a, a salary by the APF, nor is any meat director, I wouldn't think. You know, the APF has one employee, that's our office manager that handles all the paperwork and the records. You know, I think most organizations are pretty similar. They might have one or two employees that work at their office to handle paperwork, records, websites, that kind of stuff. Um, but meat directors are not, you know, they don't work for the organization. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And I, th- I think, you know, thinking about the organization, I've always seen it more as almost like a partnership versus even an independent contractor uh, where you guys are. You know, I think in your example, this Eric, where you're trying to promote the name, yes, of the APF, but also, you know, there's a, a, a multi-layered type of promotion that's going on there. But to your point earlier, keeping the standards very, very high uh, with the product that's coming out there, because ultimately that's what the, a meat is, is the product of the APF or the USAPL or whatever federation it is. Um, when you're kind of sitting there thinking about the, the meats that you're running, I, I have my own take on how I feel you do it, but what, what's your thought process on like how you're setting that up for the lifters themselves? Is it, I want to assume that this person has never competed before or, or how kind of, how are you setting up the, everything for the lifters themselves? Yeah. So it really depends on the meets. And that's one of the things we try to do at 2XL powerlifting is to have many varied types of meets for, you know, almost anybody, many varied types of lifters. So just recently ran a beginner's meet, which uh, Angelo did probably a variation of that a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, those meets we started maybe about three, four years ago, and I thought at some point we'd hit a saturation point with new lifters, but it seems like they continue to sell out. Mm-hmm. Um, we do keep the numbers small, around 30 lifters or so. Um, but essentially what we do in that meet is we do a seminar and a meet. So the, that meet is definitely set up for new lifters, people that have never competed before, or individuals that have maybe done one small meet. Um, from there, if it's just a regular local meet, you know, I'd probably still set it up more so where it's more for, quote, the local lifter. Um, but then when I think about a meet like APF Equip Nationals that we ran last year or running the WPC Can-Am later in the year, you know, that is more set up for an experienced lifter. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at making sure that in the warm-up room of a meet like that, uh, an equipped nationals, we have four monoliths or five monoliths for a two-platform meet versus a local meet. You know, if we have some squat racks and some monoliths, a lot of the lifters have never even used a monolith before. So sure. uh, I would say overall, though, I try to run meets that I would personally like to lift in. Okay. I, mean, I like lifting in meets that are organized. I like lifting in meets that are efficient. Uh, but I still like meets that, you know, do put the lifter first. And, yeah. you know, the tie goes to the lifter. Um, if there's a question on it, you know, we, we would err on the side of caution. We would err on the side of the lifter rather than erring on the side of, hey, I wasn't sure if that squat was in or not. If I had a question, I'm going to give it to the lifter. Um, hey, there's a question on rules. It's a first-time lifter. You know, I would probably err on the side of, hey, you know, this time we'll allow something that isn't an egregious breaking of the rules, um, but next time you need to fix it. You know, somebody that has a thumb loop on, I'm not going to say, hey, I'm red. I'm red lighting that lift because mm-hmm. you had your thumb loops on at a local meet. Hey, this is our first meet. They they maybe have no idea that that's okay. a rule, and we'll say, hey, sure. just for your next lift, take that off, come up here, and, and rectify that issue. Yeah, it's a really good way of going about it. Very similar to how baseball operates with spring training and professional games, where tie goes to the runner usually, but in spring training, tie goes to the uh, defending team, just kind of to speed things up and kind of get things going. So if there's a different set of precautions you have to take with beginners meets and more experienced meets yeah definitely and the beginners meets are definitely it's a different environment Mm -hmm. than 
you know, say our summer bash. That one, we are trying to be as efficient as possible because we're going to have 60 lifters in a day. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to have four flights. I usually say in our beginner's meets, if you see a meet has four flights, pack a lunch. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a long day. Yeah, two um, platforms, yep. four flights. That's well, this one we're only going to have one platform. Okay. We're running well, usually, yeah, we usually do a summer bash. Is, uh, in the past, we have done two platforms. Mm -hmm. um, but a beginner's meet, we're going to move a little bit more slowly. We might take a minute with the lifter to explain things to them. And not that we wouldn't do that at another meet. Um, but we would probably take a little bit more time at a beginner's or a novice meet uh -huh. versus at a little bit higher level meet. Or if it's a national world meet, you know, it's assumed that you know the rules at that point, And you're going to be given less slack on those type of things. Again, I still think we would take a, a lifter-centric view of things, and we still want to set things up. You know, I, I want to set a meet up in a way that I would like to lift in it. It's unfortunate I can't lift in, in the meets here. It's it's just too difficult to run a meet and lift in it. Yeah. Yep. I've, seen, I've actually examined it more closely of your kind of work throughout the day during a meet as I become a spectator to meets, and I just look at all the questions you receive all the different moving parts of everything and I'm like Jesus Christ that's a lot of work and it's it's like a 12 15 hour day just as far as like the actual uh, interacting with lifters part it's not even I'm not even taking into account the before setting up the meet and then afterwards taking down the meet and cleaning everything up too yeah the day of the meet generally I try not to assign myself any job even though I like announcing mm -hmm. I like refereeing I don't necessarily like spotting and loading but I'm certainly willing to do it mm -hmm. but i try not to assign myself any job because just like a manager at a restaurant you don't want to be waiting tables you want to be able to you know kind of fix issues um and that's usually what i end up doing at meets i end up facilitating i end up you know whether you're the meat director or not sometimes you get called into them <laughs> yeah exactly sometimes <laughs> i'm even handling you know some of the lifters yeah. from our team here at meets um so it's usually like hey i need to be available to fill in for a a, a bathroom break for the judges or for the table, or for the announcer. I need to be able to answer questions. I need to be able to, you know, sign for the pizza we bought for the lifters, and, or not for the lifters, um, for the staff and mm -hmm. the spotters. Um, so, yeah, I usually try not to assign myself to any job, and yet I'm still usually very busy the entire day. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing, I, I usually want to be able to do every job at the meet. That's something when I first started running meets, I didn't know how to score the meets. I didn't even know how to set things up. I had other people help me. As the years have gone on, I, I now have experience doing every job. I've run the computer, I've announced, I've judged every position. Certainly I've spotted and loaded. And actually, going back, that's when I started becoming a judge. I was helping at meet spotting and loading. You know, at that time, at 5'5", 175, spotting and loading is not ideal. There's a picture of me out there of me uh, spotting Keith Early, who's a guy that used mm -hmm. to lift on the Marosha team. And he's like 6'3", and you see my hands above my head trying to spot him at this tiny meet on the second floor of a gym in Iowa. And it's like, you know what? Maybe I should find a different role to yeah. help out with meets than spotting and loading. Yeah, when someone tells me that back spot him, I get pissed off. I'm like, I can't help you. Like, I'm too small to, like, legitimately get leverage on you to lift up. I'm like, get the big, tall guy to lift you. Like, or uh, just the big guy, thank you. Yeah, the big, well, I mean, you're taller than me, so that helps. But if you're like, I don't know, if the guy was 6'3 and you're back spotting them, it's like, what the, I, you can't really help it a whole ton, right? How are you going to create leverage on that? You're pretty much just pushing their ass up. To be fair, the side spotters are the ones that are doing most of the work. Yeah. I mean, you do want yeah. a big dude back spotting. Oh, and, and if, when they tell me there's no side spotters, it's me spotting, say, a six-foot guy. I'm like, I'm not doing it because I can't, I can't help you. Right. Just yeah. drop the weight on the, it's fine, drop the weight. You're better off having two side spotters yeah. than one back spotter. Yeah, for sure. 
So actually, uh, our two-way life topic of the week is your meat's record for a day. What are you doing to put on a perfect meat? And I want to ask you super quick: what does what do the meat directors actually have control of? Because I think people misinterpret that a lot. Well, I mean, we have to follow the rule book. Uh-huh. Um, well, people think they they create the rules. Yeah, we don't create the rules. Um, for the APF, there is a standard of equipment they want at least on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want at least a monolith on the platform and. For one platform, eat at least one monolith in the warm-up room. Uh, two, it would be ideal. Um, we are supposed to use specialty bars. Okay. You know, at least a 55-pound squat bar. We have tended now to use the 65-pound or 30-kilo squat bar. Mm-hmm. Um, the specialty bench bar that's 55 pounds and the specialty deadlift bar. I mean, there's some variability there with the APF. Um, but what we have control of is what the type of meat is, where the meat is, when the w- meat is. Mm-hmm. Um how you want to do the scoring, and again, we're talking a local meet or a, a non-national world meet. When you get to that level, there are certain you know, standards that have to be met as far as like how you score the meet and what categories you have to offer versus at a local meet. You know, it's kind of on the meet director. You know, I could put on a deadlift-only meet. I could put on mm-hmm. a, uh, an equipped-only squat meet if I wanted to. Then it just becomes a matter of what do I think would be popular and what do I think lifters want to lift in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say the APF, you know, there, there's a general set of rules that we have to follow, but then we probably place a little bit more variability on the meat director on what they can do from the perspective of, you know, the type of meat and the scoring and that type of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, with the comments that are received, a lot of people did not focus on anything you just mentioned. Uh, Matt Wallace had kind of with the equipment on the warm-up area, how you can get a really uh, proficient, efficient uh, warm-up area as well. But... Most people, what they commented, and I'm looking through the comments right now, WWE style MC commentary, <laughs> It's that was number one answer. I'm like, okay, I guess if you're a meat director, you're only focusing on JR and the King, Jerry the King Waller uh, announcing the meat. Like, which would be great. Which would be amazing, but I'm like, there's other ads that you have to focus on other things aside from, and music. So, who controls the aux, walk-up songs, and uh, WWE style commentary. I'm like... I feel like you guys are not focusing on a whole lot of other things that require successful meat, but people are, se- are really into the show of it now. Yeah, and, and to be fair, it depends on the meat. Uh, we're mm-hmm. going to be helping out with the WPO um, at the end of October, and that will be more like that. It'll be more like, hey, we want we want an MC, we want walk-up music, um, they want the show aspect of it, but it's mm-hmm. only going to be a low amount of lifters there, mm-hmm. and it is going to be likely you know, for TV versus the local average meat is really for the masses. It's mm-hmm. for, you know, the the plethora of lifters that you can run through. It's not about, you know, I, I can't put on a show that's two platforms and 250 lifters over two days. Yeah. At that point, yeah, we want we want we want a good presentation. We do want, you know, we want it to look nice and we want, you know, banners behind the platform and we want a good announcer that announced the weights and, you know, announced the order, but the announcing is really it's really more about that than about mm-hmm. commentary, especially for a local meet. It's more about making sure you communicate the breaks and making sure you communicate the order yeah. and making sure you announce the weight in pounds and kilos on the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more than nuts and bolts at a local meet. So that's when Bain asked, you know, when I'm running a meet, you know, how do I set things up? Again, it's going to kind of depend on, depend on the type of meet. Uh, we ran the Pressing the Pieces Together Autism Fundraiser um, at the end of April, and that we tried to do a little bit of that you know, maybe not WWE, but we did have a, a DJ here that mm-hmm. was, you know, 
doing walk-up music for the lifters. We thought about maybe doing some lights and something like that. We thought we'd start with the, the DJ and, and work our way up. We did yeah. it at night. We invited some big lifters. It mm-hmm. was a small event, so it was over in a couple of hours. I mean, I know that all three of us and most of the people listening to us probably love powerlifting, but is powerlifting so engrossing that you'd like to sit there through a even a, an eight-hour day of mm-hmm. you know your average local lifter lifting? No. I mean, it's not that interesting. Only if you know somebody. Yeah. Um, if it's just, you know, your, your average lifter is not as exciting as, you know, 30 really good lifters yeah. competing against one another. Yeah, we had a comment from uh, Frank Daddy 29 uh, He left probably the longest and most detailed comments. So I'll read his. Uh, and, again, a lot of it is for the show of it, but at the same time, kind of what you just said. It's got to be small if you're going to have a show of it. So, like, an invite only. But he said, lighting on the lifters only. Room dim, dark for effect. Flashing lights, loud music, great announcer, warm-up room with exact equipment as on platform, massage therapist, and Cairo on hand in the back to help athletes. Uh, at the same time, I did say money is no object here. Uh, as a promoter, it would be constantly have someone back announcing night, uh, an- announcing time frame before flights start and uh, who's up next. Coolers of water and catered food in the back room for Chipotle. He spe- specified Chipotle. <laughs> Gotta be Chipotle. <laughs> Gotta be Chipotle for lifters as well. TV in the back, warm up for lifters to see what's happening. Obviously, cash prize for the best male and female uh, lifter. Cash prize for biggest SPD of the day in total. Battle axes are the trophies. Okay, I would prefer a belt. Uh, not cheap USPA medals. He's at, he put in USPA, which is uh, good. Uh, monolith for safety options. Athletes travel and rooms paid for who was invited. And this is an invite only meet. Uh, meet. So. Real high expectations there. Money is no object, but I, again. I'm glad someone ran with that since we threw that out there. Yeah. yeah well, a lot of people were like, I said money is no object, and they're like, let's get a really good MC. Like, say, all right. <laughs> well, that's going to be free for the most part. We had uh, Barzian Pizzeri do it because I think he had the most uh, comments for as best MC kind of WWE style. So, um, but again, what is the MC doing? I mean, Barzine does a good job of announcing, yeah. and announcing the order and that kind of thing. But are you talking about, you know, an announcer and commentator like Jim Ross and, yeah. and Jerry the King Lawler that are, you know, actually commenting on the lifting for a TV production? Or yeah. are we talking about, you know, like the PA announcer that's announcing who's up and who's next? So those to me are almost two different things. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got yeah. the PA announcer at football games that says, you know, first down, um, but you've got, you know. John Madden and Pat Summerall that are your commentators yeah. on TV that are you know, different than the PA announcer. Yeah, I think that's what they mean, too. And a lot of people put live stream, fixing up live stream, making high def, kind of like a very similar – well, you're watching a sporting event. Uh, someone said very similar we just said. Uh, Marco Soriano said hiring Michael Buffer to announce each lifter. I'm pretty sure people want to shorten the time meets, and Michael Buffer would probably add at least seven to eight minutes announcing each name. So. Yep. <laughs> right, again, so <laughs> if money's no object and you're doing an elite-only invite small meet, yeah, I mean, all yeah. that stuff is cool. Yeah. Um, it depends on the level of the meet. If it's a local meet that everybody can lift in, I'm sorry. You, all that stuff is not plausible. I, yeah. I, I guess if no if money's no object, but yeah. usually even if money's no object, time is of the essence to some degree. If you have 100 lifters in a day, even on two platforms, gosh, all that production value would uh, would add to the meet. Yeah, I didn't think while I made this topic, I would get number one answer, MC, and then number two answer, music. Like, music that you can hear, music that you can choose, music that you can walk up to. I'm like, all right, that's actually not that hard to do. This, it happened, what, in Manchester, right? 
We got to choose our music. I didn't know it, that, it, but it, I didn't it, care. It was cool. But... Like, I, I thought that was neat, but I think it, uh, to organize all that, I think, was definitely challenging. I know mm-hmm. the, the gentleman who was doing the DJ, and he, he struggled a little bit because he was trying to figure out, you know, when lifters were coming. He didn't understand necessarily how the orders were going. Yeah. And so, so that's, built, hard. building his playlist, I think he had some challenges as that would change throughout the meet, mm-hmm. you know, as you shifted around. That just, that was a struggle for him. Yeah, we tried to do that at our uh, autism bench meet. The only issue was that uh, most of the lifters did not respond to my pleas for if you want if you want a song when you walk up, give it to me in advance so my DJ guy can can buy it ahead of time if he doesn't have it. He's usually my wife's brother who is DJ at weddings and he's probably got a lot of wedding music, not necessarily as much you know disturbed in ACDC as mm-hmm. was requested. Yeah. So. You know, there, there's a lot of logistics that go into that type of mm-hmm. thing. I mean, music for me is always a double-edged, double-edged sword because, you know, everybody's musical taste is going to be different. I mean, the Old Man Saturday crew here at 2XL will listen to the same five ACDC songs over and over again mm-hmm. and would be super happy. Same with Eric Marosher if they're at uh, Monster Garage Gym versus, <laughs> you know... Not uh, wrong. <laughs> versus some of the lifters here, as my partner Howard would say, would want the, quote, urban music, which... <laughs> When we go back to the live stream, for some reason, tends to kick our live stream off and, you know, give Howard a strike on YouTube for trying to live stream with the, quote, urban music included in on it. So, music is tough. It's it's because, again, if you run a two-platform meet, you know, you Mm -hmm. certainly can't have a walk-up song for everybody. And some people like it really loud. Um, There's also some lifters that actually don't like it that loud. And then, Mm -hmm. if you think Mm -hmm. about the audience, you got grandma and your 10-year-old daughter sitting in the audience... You know, they want music playing where there's a curse word every other yeah. know, every other word. And, and granted, Talk about drug, drug dealing and pimping women and whatnot. It sounds like a blast. It's a powerlifting meet. It's not a, you know, it's not church. Yeah. But I prefer not to have songs by meets that are, you know, woolly full of curse words. Yeah. Um, a few here and there doesn't bother me, but that's just personal preference. I like my meets to be a little bit more family friendly than, you know, every other word is a curse word. We had that little bit of that at our bench meet. We... We turn up the volume a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, yep. it is something that, you know, you have to think about, what again, what type of meat it is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bane, what comments did you get on the uh, post as well? So, uh, probably the best one I got was from Liam Lifts. I, I just think this was kind of funny. To have a leader chair for each class, so whoever's totaling the most watches from their throne, like they used <laughs> to use in downhill mi- mountain bike races. I thought that was awesome. Just yeah. to have an iron throne right there. Yeah. Oh, I saw, I, I, someone commented on mine. Whoever, because again, it's tying back to music. Who's ever leading the meets in total gets to control the aux. Yeah, put on like Celine Dion or something and try to get them like thrown off a little bit. <laughs> we do have a lifter from CrossFit Define in Chicago that does use a request Beyonce. Okay. When he comes up to deadlift, and sometimes my wife will oblige. Um, he does. Deadlift. I love when Anikin does that. I know exactly who you're talking about. He can deadlift 600 pounds. Yep. So you know, sometimes you get you can throw you know throw a dog a bone and give them their own special music. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, yep. for sure. I mean, for I mean, I, I, for me, for the music thing, it's like it, I honestly don't even like pay attention to it. Right when I'm about to deadlift, because I remember someone told me it's like, did you request Justin Bieber to play at USAPL? And I'm like, <laughs> no, man. It was kind of that's what they were playing and that's what they were uh, going with. So I just didn't. Did I didn't even notice? Didn't even notice till afterwards. Um, yeah. I think because on one squat, I think I heard Rage Against the Machine. I think I was wrong. I just kind of am tuned into it and kind of forget. So I think a lot of stuff that people 
put on this, like, if you're a meat director for a day, a lot of people, of course, said good, good competent judging, good, competent spotters. Matt Wallace put that, Barzine uh, put that as well. So, and the equipment, too. The uh, equipment in the warm-up area is big. I think a lot of the most complaints I've seen with meat directors has been not adequate warm-up equipment in the warm-up area. Um, and then not being or changing up last second what's going to be on the platform. Have seen that. Um, we talked about that with the uh, Battle of the Bay. The mm-hmm. the list, the laundry list of things that was wrong with that meet. Um, that was one of them where they were promised a forty five pound bar to squat with, and then when they got on the platform, it was fifty five pounds. Yeah, I do think you should be transparent on what you're doing. Yeah, I will say from a meat director's perspective, and this is not an excuse, but it is challenging to. People say they want a duplicate of what's on the platform in the warm-up room. Obviously, yeah. we try to achieve that as much as we can, um, but to some degree, you know, even Elite FPS's monoliths will be slightly different mm-hmm. if you bought one five years ago versus if you bought one now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it can be challenging at times. And gosh, you know, I've heard to pay people to bring out monoliths for meets, and even the people who have them, if I offer them money, now I, I suppose I could offer them more money, but. I offered them money to bring out a monolith for my meat, and they still, most of them will not do it. So mm-hmm. I can sympathize with meat directors that have trouble, you know, fully equipping a warm-up room. That's not an excuse because, I mean, ultimately, you're putting on the meat, you're taking money from people, um, so you should have adequate warm-up mm-hmm. room and space. Uh, but it, it is challenging, especially if you're doing a, a multi-platform meet. I believe that Battle of the Bay meet was four platforms, I think, somebody told me. I don't know. Or maybe it, three platforms. I think it was crazy. Yeah, it was. It w- Shut up. Yeah, the logistics of that in the organization was not up to par. I will, and I'm putting that lightly. Yeah, I mean, I will just say that. Gosh, I don't even. It seems like if you go beyond two platforms, you know, I, 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 props to the USAPL and others that have done more than two platforms at a time. At a certain point, it doesn't even become one meet. Yeah, well, it's almost like you have just, you know, simultaneous meets running next to each other. And with USAPL, because you, you're describing APF with their specialty bars. Right. USAPL is very easy to have a good warm-up room because we just need a 45-pound bar and weights. Sure. That's it. U- USPA has specialty bars, too, so they will have to think about that. Those right. are the kind of logistics that go into running a meet that I think people overlook. Like, why don't they have four de- uh, Texas deadlift bars? Like, it's, it's hard to get four te- Texas deadlift bars in a uh, warm-up room. Yeah, I mean, if you think about a two-platform meet and you have specialty, dead- specialty deadlift bars, you're mm-hmm. talking about six, at least, yeah. specialty deadlift bars. Two for the platform and four for the warm-up room, it would be, you know, in an ideal world, it would be nice if you could even have three warm-up areas per platform. So now we're talking, you know, uh, two on the platform, and we're talking six in the back, so eight of, of everything in the back. And it, the logistics of that do get challenging. Um, even the giant APF truck that we pay to come up here and supply equipment for our meat, I mean, he can fit four monoliths on there. We bring a monolith or two, but even then, that's but then you're, I mean, you're hitting weight requirements. You're hitting a lot. I mean, it's a lot of to your point. It's a lot of logistics that goes into this that does present challenges. Yep. Yeah. And the reality of putting on a meet is is some of those challenges based on the time frames and the and the space you have are not going to be overcomable. Yeah, for sure. All right. And wrapping up this topic real quick, I'm curious about this. I'm sure Ben is too. What's the oddest or most irritating question you've got from a lifter at <laughs> a powerlifting meet? Um, yeah, you know, probably my least favorite question is, what is the record for X? Well, I, I don't know. I don't have the record book memorized, especially when you consider now we have geared, raw, classic raw, APF, AAPF. There's a lot of categories there. No person... Single ply, multiply. <laughs> yeah, geez, we don't have that for the state, luckily. We only have a quip. 
Um, but yeah, there's no way that anybody could know those records. That's why we post them online. I used to print them for meets, and it got to be so you know so much paper wasted because yeah, was it like eighty pages? Like I mean, it was it was so many pages, and the the day you print them, they're going to be you know uh, they're going to be out of date the next week. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably the number one. Probably the oddest questions I get are usually about underwear, and this was not an issue many years ago, but all mm-hmm. of a sudden now. It's like we get all these questions on what underwear is allowed. And I guess in other organizations, they're a little bit more strict. I did get checked in uh, WPC for my underwear. Right. Uh, there was a little crinkle going on, and they were like, okay, your squat was good, and it was very quick, so we got to check the underwear. I'm like, okay. And right. I'm like, I came prepared. I'm like, don't yeah. worry. <laughs> I'm not wearing squat briefs under yeah. here. I guess only tidy whities for some organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, it's just, quote, standard underwear. Uh, but that's probably one of the, the questions I get. The other is just... Probably the most irritating is questions people ask that, you know, throw it in your Google machine and figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> somebody asked me something recently, and I has anyone ever used the Let Me Google That For You website? You punch it in, something in there, it's like, take the first letter of all those words, Let Me Google That For You. You put something in there, and it'll send somebody a, uh, a GIF of typing a word into Google hitting search, and then give you the top search results. Oh, well. I can't remember what somebody That's asked me, but I wanted to send them that GIF, but I just okay. said, you know, please check this website and get back to me. You know, like, where are the WANs? When are the WANs? I mean, first step, check the entry form. It's probably on there. In fact, I probably emailed it to you as well if you follow my emails, mm-hmm. um, if you're enrolled in one of my meets. I usually try to send all that stuff out via email. Um, so if you just check your email... And that's probably my other annoyance, if we're going on that, that path of yeah. Eric Stone's annoyances. Um, <laughs> millennials that I can't get a hold of, like, they don't answer their phone, they don't answer their emails, um, some of them don't even have a voicemail box Did set up. DM them on Instagram. Yeah, I, I usually don't do that. <laughs> um, D- I think that's the only way you're going to reach certain, especially powerlifters. If I, you DM them on Instagram, also put in, like, the first thing that you're kind of, uh, if there's, like, a sponsorship opportunity put that in the first sentence and it'll for sure get an Instagram power lift. They're like, oh, what? And they'll click on it really quick and then it's like, oh, it's about my meat. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, that's my that's my only complaint from lifters is just, gosh, <laughs> can you have an email that you just check like once in a while for a meet or actually like check your phone? I, I, I have gone to the level of texting them because once I've called them, the number's already been punched into my phone so then it's just a matter of, okay. of typing in a text mm-hmm. to say, hey, please fill out your form or hey, XYZ I need from you. Um, but it can be challenging to get get a hold of you millennial powerlifters, and I put myself as maybe an older millennial in that in that box. But yeah, that's probably the challenge of running meets at times is just you know getting a hold of people in the online era when people don't answer their phone and maybe don't even check their email. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I remember you did communicate with me pretty well for my very first meet, which was nice. And then and but then the other meets that I've run wasn't exactly like that because like I don't even know if I. I didn't get like a confirmation or anything, or like only thing was through PayPal that I'm like in the meet. I'm like okay, but then I didn't hear anything from the meet director for like weigh-ins and that kind of stuff or like the dates. I'm like okay, I guess I'll probably be on my own for that kind of stuff. But that's fine. I could. I'm not as I'm not <coughs> that smart, but I'm smart enough to like look at a PDF file enough times to know when weigh-ins are. Well, and that's why I try to email that stuff out ahead of time so mm-hmm. that I can hopefully head off the pass some of those questions and such that people have. But I, I I've got I've ran so many meets at this point that I've gotten all those questions before. So I try to head them off at the pass with, uh, you know, posting stuff on the website and then emailing people and that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I've heard that from other people that have run other meets that say, oh, I guess 
that's something you only do at your meets. Yeah. Yeah, the little packet you give us is always the, the folder. I love the folder that I got away in, like with all the information inside it, too. That's right. I am one of those old school people, like uh, Bane's coach, Marosher, that uh, I do like to physically write things down on a piece of paper, my training logs. I like yep. to have something to write down what I did in the meet on. So, yeah, I mean, I, I we've tried to cut down on paper, but I like the folder because it gives people something physical in their hands. They can they have a physical kilo chart. They have stuff they can they can write down their lifts. Um, they've got a, you know some other info information we can put in from sponsors or whatnot. But yeah, sometimes my wife and others make fun of my little Manila folders that I give to the lifters. No, I love them. I love that. No, those those things are huge, man. Time, time stamp this, and we're gonna send this to my wife and my client Joe. Yeah. Who, <laughs> yeah, this is documented on a podcast that, I mean, it's the hottest podcast in powerlifting right now. So, everyone's listening to it, the folders are a win. Okay. You got I two highlights for the folders. Also, the, the one thing I'll kind of add as far as, like, is we really hit on with, what, between Eric, the comments, uh, a lot of the stuff I would want at, like, the perfect meet, you mm-hmm. know, that the Robert Bain would do, if I would ever do one. Let's make that very clear. I have no dream of ever being the meet director. I would love to see a, a you know screens, monitors, whatever, piping back information to the lifters. So like the current standings for each uh, weight class, where they are in flight position, which I know Eric's team already does that, uh, and then a live feed from the platform would be kind of cool too if people were wanting to watch that. The other, and this was just me personally, I would love an organized grilling and/or drinking activity after the meet because I think that's one of the coolest parts about the sport when you do big meets is getting to go eat and break bread with everybody afterwards, mm-hmm. and so. Other than that, we ca- like everything was kind of hit on already, so that's really kind of my deal. Yeah, a lot of people commented that, and I'm just like, hey, BYOB and BYOF, I guess, I don't know. Like, bring your own food and then do this. Organize it yourself afterwards. Like, the meat director kind of organizing that afterwards, too. But I think BYOB would be badass. We've done that before a couple times. We had a meet that we ran at a hotel where they, they gave me the space for free. And so in order to help, you know, fill the void of what we didn't pay in rental, we – you know, bought some food for them and did like a pizza party after one of the days of the meets. Mm-hmm. Um, the the tricky part is if it's the last day of the meet, I can tell you as a meet director, what we want to do is get that equipment cleaned up mm-hmm. and put back away. If it's a multi-day mm-hmm. meet, you know, after one of the first couple days, that's something you probably can do because everything's staying where it is. Um, but yeah, it, the challenge is if it's a one-day meet or if it's the end, very end of a meet, Man, I can tell you, the meat directors, what they want to do is get all that equipment loaded up while they still have help there, the spotters and loaders, to do it. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, if it's an off-site location, they probably have a certain time limit they have to get out of that space and cleaned up before they have to, you know, their contract ends at, say, a hotel or something like that. For sure. Right. But in Manchester, we did have that bar, and that was clutch. That was dope. That I was mean, such a great meet to just – when I – Right off the gets the platform, got to have a beer, and it was fantastic. Yeah, the head of the Irish Powerlifting Federation, the meet had only been over for maybe 20 minutes, and he already had a beer in his hand. He did. That's why we love Brody. Yeah. <laughs> why we had to carry on to his room. <laughs> that was ideal uh, placement. You had the little auditorium right next door is the bar. Uh, they really did things well over there in England. Mm-hmm. It was it was good. It yeah, was good very time. good. Good time in Manchester. So going into, you know, I had a couple more questions for, for you, Eric. You know, you, you – Started studying strength in, in college and uh, wanted to go that route. And so now as a coach, you know, you've seen a lot of athletes kind of come through your doors, right? Uh, and I know just you as a person, because I've known you for a few years, if someone says, hey, I want help, you're not going to ever say no. Uh, you're going to try to help them in some way, shape, or form to get stronger. But what gets you excited as a coach when you see an athlete and you say, oh, this, this person has potential? Like, what, what is it that gets you excited? So I, th- 
think I really enjoy the most working with the new lifters, um, the people yep. new to strength force that have the enthusiasm to do it. And then on top of that, have the work ethic and the consistency. So I don't necessarily get excited as much about big numbers. I mean, I, I like when our lifters get big numbers, but I would rather the comment be about Team Stone lifter that, hey, you know, they were all very well coached. They all had great technique. They all looked like they you know, executed the lifts well and hit PRs rather than, you know, always having lifters that hit all-time world records. That's probably what, you know, gets me going more so than the big lifts is the, the beginning lifters um, or maybe the lifters that have been in the sport a short while and want to take it to the next step, you know, say like you two transitioning from raw to geared at some point. Gosh, that really gets me, uh, gets me excited to see a lifter put on gear for the first time. So whenever Robert Bain, uh, you know, wants to have his knees wrapped and not at two in the morning in England and and squat with it, mm-hmm. or Angelo, same thing. You know, that would that would be something that would get me more excited. It's seeing lifters, you know, start out with something, be it start out with a sport or yeah. or start out in gear. I mean, I I do have a a preference to equipped lifting. I mean, I I love seeing raw lifters hit big lifts. It it impresses me, but I, I'm probably one that prefers equipped lifting more so than raw lifting. Um, I think sure. at this point in the sport, they probably both have their their spot. Um, but I, I, I guess my ultimate preference probably equipped over raw. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. So that's, that's that's a great answer. That's one of the things I, I I like about you is you're thoughtful about you know lifters. You know, big numbers are one thing, but it's that to see that person being consistent because that consistency will eventually breed the big numbers. You know, and, and so I like that. That's you know, just to me, one of the signs of a great coach. Um. So this is kind of my, my last big question for you, specifically, Eric. I know we're going to talk about a couple other things, too. But, you know, you've you've accomplished some things in the sport from as an athlete, as a coach, as a meet director. Uh, you've been able to help promote the sport, you know, across the Chicagoland area. What's the ultimate goal? What's the end game? What's the legacy of Eric Stone? Yeah, that's a good question, Bane. Um, I can't say I can give you a, a totally codified answer, um, but I take a lot of my influence as far as meets based on my – my coach, Ernie Franz, and the way he was able to start and run the APF. And he did have a lot of, you know, top-level lifters, but he also was one that, you know, ran the organization for the lifters and had a team of, of varied, you know, types and numbers of lifters, both male and female, both young and old. You know, he wanted to help everybody. So as far as my legacy of, let's say, coaching, we kind of talked about, that would be definitely that. It would be somebody that that brings, you know, lifters into the sport. Um, as far as directing meets, you know, I would like to continue to run, you know, high-level meets. And we're running the WPC Worlds next year. Um, this year we're helping with the WPO, and we're running the Chicago Strength Expo that will have the WPC Can-Am. Um, so I would just like to continue to run, you know, high-level meets, but at the same time continue to run meets that, you know, can introduce individuals into the sport. Um, I think that's what we've done really well over the past 10 or 15 years is run, you know, local level meets that have been for, you know, anybody to enter into. I think what I'd like to, you know, maybe expand more into is more of the higher level meets, more of some of those show meets where, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have lights and plausibly cash awards. And, you know, at our our APF Equip Nationals last year, we gave out championship belts. Um, That's something that I I went into slowly. Uh, I didn't immediately say, hey, I want to go out and run you know, worlds, I said, hey, let me run a local meet Mm -hmm. and let me continue to run local meets for year after year. 
until I have enough experience. Um, so from a legacy perspective, I think, you know, to have a legacy that even approaches what Ernie Franz did, you know, having a team of lifters, uh, running a successful organization would be something, someone and something that I, w I would, you know, model myself after. Um, so I think that probably succinctly wraps that. No, that's, that's really good. And that's, you know, I, I think you're well on the way to, for that. I mean, I know when I came in the sport, you know, a few years ago, uh, they were actually talking about, Dick Zenza was talking about passing off a lot of the responsibilities of these local meets to you. Um, I, I remember that. I, I don't know how it actually came up, but there, there was a thing where they were speaking about you specifically. And uh, I then did the summer bash and I saw, and this is nothing against Dick because he runs a great meet. I saw just what a difference it was and how organized it was. And I saw that the, there were so many more lifters at this summer bash than there were at the previous state meet. And those types of things are what got me hooked. And, you know, I, I don't say this, you know, jokingly at all. Like, you know, powerlifting has kind of changed my life. It's taken me around the world. It's introduced me to great friends. And it's because of, you know, and I think this is one of the cool things that you think about a legacy because of people like you that put on these great meets that allowed me to enjoy it instead of stressing about, you know, where am I going to warm up? Where, you know, where am I going? What am I doing? Like, you, you kind of laid that foundation and do, did that through your uh, mentorship through Ernie, which I think is just, it's tremendous. And, um, so I, I do personally want to say thank you. I just wanted this person to say thank you uh, because, again, it's it's uh, in no small uh, amount because of you, and uh, I think you're well on the way to creating that legacy that you're, you're talking about as long, you know, coming along uh, behind Ernie. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that's always something we've wanted to do is create an environment that invites lifters in and makes them want to continue doing meets. And now we, we've worked on for years on – creating an environment that can bring lifters into the sport. And now what I think the APF needs to work on is providing a, a platform for them to take that next step in the sport. And that's what we're trying to do with the WPO. I think we probably could do something on the raw lifting end as well. That's something I've put a little bit of thought into. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you've taken your first step in, in lifting in a meet. And then it's like, okay, well, is that just like me doing a marathon or half marathon? We're like, mm -hmm. you know, I check it off my bucket list and – what do I do now? Um, but it's, can we continue those goals? And is there anything else that, you know, that can, can keep me in the sport essentially? Um, yeah. What, what's my next goal? I've done my meet. I've hit some PRs. You know, what's the next goal for me? What's the next level meet? And I don't think that is something that the APF that we've done as good of a job as we could is providing that, that next avenue for lifters. So we do need to build up our national meets. We do need to build up our world meets. Um, we're working on building the WPO, and hopefully we can maybe work on something on the raw lifting end as well because I, I'm hoping, and there's some things in the work which I can't talk about totally yet, but there's some things in the work for the WPO that could make that a huge thing in the sport, mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be at the Chicago Strength Expo. I'll give my plug since we've just been chatting about things, but October 26th through 28th at the Pheasant Run Mega Center, we are going to have the Chicago Strength Expo, which is going to include... Powerlifting, Olympic lifting, strongman, Maz wrestling, and kettlebell sport. We're going to be running the WPC Can-Am the first two days. And the third day on Monday, the 28th, we're going to be doing the WPO Super Open Finals. There should be some announcements on that soon. Maybe I can come back on here and, and talk about that a little bit more when some things are a little bit more you know, solidified and contract signed. But there is the high plausibility that that will be you know, on some kind of TV, um, and I think it'd be a huge thing for powerlifting 
and especially mm -hmm. for the foot power lifting, which again, uh, we can work on the raw lifting end as well, but it seems like there's, there's some avenues for that through the Arnold, um, through USAPL and some other places where, you know, you've got the US Open and some other ones that are really focused on raw lifting. Um, again, I'm a believer that the, the, the beginning of the sport was equipped and I, I think equipped multiply lifting is exciting just due to the sheer amount of weight being lifted and seeing those freaks out there um, lifting huge weights. And I say freaks from a positive standpoint, not from a negative yep. standpoint. Um, yep. You know, seeing big, strong dudes lifting, you know, incredible weights. Um, I think and girls too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's one thing we changed with the WPO with it coming back is we included females and males, and it looks like it's going to be an even split with the WPO here in October. And there awesome. might be some other meets that, you know, maybe are male only and female only leading up to that um, going forward in the future as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing all that, and um, that's you said in October, correct? Yeah, October 26th to 28th. So you're going to be more than welcome to come on to uh, Two White Lights, discuss that further. Um, October's going to be a busy month for us, man. It is. I'm, <laughs> really I'm busy. excited. I'll, I think you got I'll be trying to break into the USAPL Nationals. I'll be spotting at, at least part of the, the weekend. I, I volunteer my services for that. So. And we got um, the Surge uh, Pro-Am uh, week before USAPN Nationals. Too, yep, so yep. It's going to be a nice, busy weekend for Two White Lights. And yeah, week, we're really month. looking forward to that. Oh, yeah, month. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll be, I'll be yeah, glad I'm, I'm not competing anytime after Worlds anytime soon, so I'm, I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, also, uh, a lot of our listeners are Illinois-based, and they're in that like beginner kind of range, too. So any events on the horizon where uh, we got some Illinois lifters that could come in and compete? Yeah, if you're looking for something immediate, we still have a few spots left at the Chicago Summer Bash at the end of July. Do it. All our meets are up at apf-illinois.com or 2xlpowerlifting.com. If you're looking for something a little bit more in the future and you like what I talked about with those beginner's meets that has the seminar and has the meet component, we'll do our intro to powerlifting at some point in November. Mm -hmm. Definitely before Thanksgiving we usually do it. Um, I'm not even just scheduled this time for two days because it seems like Every time I've scheduled one of those in the last two and a half years, it has sold out very quickly. And granted, we keep the numbers low so that we can provide more of that individualized attention and have the time to go through the rules more in depth. So uh, that hopefully that date or dates will be set pretty soon. Um, otherwise, if you're just looking for another regular meet at the end of the year, we'll do our Illinois Raw Power Challenge. Probably yes. again here at 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard. Um, so those are the local meets that okay. we have coming up. Um, and we'll probably set dates for those later meets soon. I was trying to get ahead and get registration for my current meets on the schedule out before I start setting dates for future. Yeah, for all of our listeners who are in Illinois, sign up for an APF meet if you guys want to get us started to a meet. Or just if you want a well-organized, fun meet to go to, go to an Eric Stone run APF meet. I've only had good times at meets that I've competed in and spectated at. Love the Federation yep. and love the... Love the kind of atmosphere within the local APF meets. I appreciate that. No problem. Yeah, All right, man. so we're going to wrap this interview up. Unless, Bane, you got something to add? Uh, yeah, last thing. Eric, when you compete next. Yeah, I'm doing AWPC Worlds uh, bench only down in Orlando, Florida, along with the one and only Robert Bain. Um, I'll be heading down there with one of my clients as well who's competing in the Masters Raw, and that is what? Uh, it's August 16th to the 18th. I think you, you're you on Friday. Yep. Single lift. I think your client is Saturday. Correct. And then the open, all the open guys, I think all the open men are all on Sunday. 
I believe you are correct. And I was asked by my teammate today, one of my high school, now out of high school boys, when am I going to do a full meet again? So I guess I'm being encouraged by those around me. I need to get my ass in gear and try to train for another full meet. So TBD on that maybe sometime in next spring when you've had 20 years of lifting under your hips. It takes a little <laughs> bit longer to uh, to get going for something like that, especially because, I again, I compete mostly equipped. I could train and do a raw meet, but... I want to get all my ducks in a row and do another equip meet okay. full again, probably sometime next year. Awesome. All right. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. You will definitely be on the show again. Uh, we're going to get into segments right after this. Again, thank you for you and 2XL for allowing us to record here. Yeah, I request that I come on again. I, I didn't get to this, but I would like to talk about uh, the rise of raw lifting over the past that I've seen as a meat director over the past 10 years. I've got some Ooh, yes. I've got some thoughts on this. Nothing negative, but um, actually I might dig up some historical data I have. Um, I've been waiting to work on an article for this, but maybe I should just do it in an audio form okay. and uh, talk about when raw lifting started in the APF, when raw lifting became popular, and then look at some of the numbers behind that and how um, you've seen the, the rise of raw and the you know, slow decline of equipped, where that I do think is now, you know, maybe back on the uptick again. The nostalgia factor is kind of coming in. I see a lot of young lifters, you know, say like that watching documentaries like Westside First World and uh, going to other gyms like, um, I mean, most of the powerlifting gyms in this area, there's a good amount of guys who are equipped lifters. And they yep. see the weight, they see uh, how difficult it is to lift in gear. I think a lot of the young lifters now are starting to maybe do a little bit of a 180. Like, okay, start raw, maybe raw with wraps. It's like, oh, the equip lifting looks kind of badass. So we are unique here in Illinois. We've got a lot of powerlifting-specific gyms and a yeah. lot of gyms that have a lot of geared lifters. Here's the other thing. I talked about this earlier. You know, after you do your first meet and you've set your goals and maybe you've broken those goals, you know, kind of what's next? And I do think for a lot of raw lifters, their thought is, hey, maybe my next challenge can be to do a meet equipped. Yeah. Um, and I do think there, there's definitely an additional challenge there. Obviously, lift more weights, but I would say controversially that equipped lifting is harder than raw lifting. Yeah. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it's easier to lift the weight raw or equipped. Obviously, the equipment helps you lift more weight, but the technical aspect of... There, there it is. That is recorded, too. The equipment helps you lift all the weight. Right, all the way. My my seven twenty seven <laughs> squat. I got seven hundred twenty seven pounds out of the suit and wraps. Exactly. 100%. Couldn't even do the bar for all. Right, That's definitely. Crazy. But yeah, there there is a higher level of technical skill required with uh -huh. equipment, and I do think that there's an appeal of hey, maybe I try a different challenge, and I can tell you that squatting in briefs feels kind of good. Squatting in a suit feels like your head's gonna pop off. Benching in a shirt, it's almost like it's a different lift. It's it's mm -hmm. similar, but it's almost oh. like the difference between like pole vaulting and high jumping. Yeah, Bane could speak from experience on that. Put on the shirt once, right? Twice, three times? Had it on a few times, and yeah, it, it is... I, I've always respected that part of the sport, and, and it was a very new respect after I came out from under that bar. One, because, yes, the weight moved, and you know, holding 500 pounds in my hands was a, a unique thing, but yeah, feeling like my head was going to explode, and it was, it was. It was such a different lift, technically, than a raw bench press was. It was, it was very interesting. Mm-hmm, yeah. Again, I have many thoughts on that. We should save that for a future talk. Sure, and, and you know so, if you want to, we could legit fill two hours with that. Yeah, and if you want to make an article, I mean, there is kind of a spot for that now uh, with the advent of Two White Lights blog. So uh, okay. it's actually got we posted our origin stories, got some really, really, really good feedback for it. So you know, not on the realm of possibility of a podcast 
slash blog kind of thing going, but, you know, we'll discuss that after the laptop is closed and the mics are off. <laughs> All right, so thank you again, Eric Stone, and we're going to have segments right after this. All right, once again, thank you, Eric Stone, for letting us interview at 2XL. Great interview. You'll be seeing him again on the show. As promised, we're going to go on Instagram Live for our next segment. Haven't done in a while. I get a lot of questions on Instagram Live. This would be a good time to answer questions from our Two White Lights listeners and people who follow me. Unfortunately, Bane can't be here. He's in San Francisco. While we're setting up Instagram Live, I'd like to remind you guys, we alluded it to the interview. Um, and in the interview, check out Two White Lights blog. That's going to be on the site. Uh, we're going to have some contributing writers. Me and Bane are, of course, going to write things as well. So be on the lookout for that. So it looks like we're on Instagram Live. What's going on? As you guys can see, got the mic in the hand, got the laptop watching the Cubs beat up on the Cardinals. We have two white lights Instagram live. If you guys have any questions, feel free to ask. Um, again, we do this occasionally on the show where me, Bane, get questions and yeah, we're open to answering them. Unfortunately, it's just me today. So if you guys have questions, feel free to ask. We currently have some people joining the chat. We got Jay Chun. What's up, John? We have Grant Hockmeyer. What's going on, guys? Yeah, so any questions, feel free to ask them. Getting waves, thumbs up. Hi, what's up? What's going on? All right, Chris and Joy. Hey, Hogan, what's up? What's up, guys? A lot of people just saying hi to me, which is nice. Mike has definitely got some girth to it. Yeah, it's, um, it's gold, too. Should I do it like this? It looks like a little cooler if I do it like that. I look, uh, such like an asshole. What's up? My name is Jose. Love your post. My question, what tips do you have for low bar squatting? Any warm-up techniques? Also, what can I do to avoid any low back soreness? So, if you watch my posts, you will see that I do not low bar squat. I am a high bar squatter. Actually, this would be a good question for Bane. Uh, fortunately, he's not here, but with... Low bar squat with low back pain, um, I would probably say to open up those hips a little bit more, stay a little bit more upright with your squat. Uh, even with low bar squat, if you're just pointing your sternum up to the sky, it's going to help you. So um, that'll really that'll really help you out with that. Uh, also, with low bar squatting, I think that shoulder mobility is going to help you a lot too. Um, it's going to help you drive and. You want to you you still want to be able to use your back. I know Ed Cohen talked about it a lot. Just using your back to in your squat actually will help a lot. So um, if you do that, it may help you. So don't use too much of the back, but don't be afraid to use that back as well. But unfortunately, again, I high bar squat and I don't low bar squat. I'm one of the worst people to ask for that. Took a week off. Now I feel weak as fuck. Well, that sucks, man. Um, I actually, for me taking a week off, that actually helps me. I don't think I come back stronger. But, you know, when, when you kind of get into that range of, or when you get into that, uh, rhythm of training heavy every day, five days a week, when you're on contest prep a lot, it starts wearing on your hips, it starts wearing on your shoulders, it starts wearing on your knees. So that week off sometimes is good for me. Usually after meets, I take three weeks off, or two weeks off, and then light training for another two weeks. What do you usually do for, for mobility? Uh, I get this question a lot. Agile 8 on T Nation. Uh, that's a really good one. Also, Steffi Cohen released a really good video on if you have uneven hips and a hip shift. Uh, check that out on her page. Uh, I could post in my story, but... 
really good mobility exercises for your hips. Uh, but Agile 8 does really good active stretching that I like. A. Hogan says, is that a beer? Yes, it's a beer. It's Sunday, man. Yeah, so mobility. I actually have um, not the greatest mobility just in general. Very tight hips, and it's leading to a hip shift right now. But I do Agile 8s. Go on T Nation. Follow that. Really good active stretching. will open up the hips. will keep the hips firing. Uh, kind of warms up the glutes a little bit too. Um, it just it just activates your muscles a little bit before you're getting into um, your exercise. Uh, a very good example of using that is or using sort of mobility that's active and activating those muscles is very similar to when I played football. When I played football, we would warm up and we always try to break a sweat before we went on the field. Same thing applies for powerlifting for me. I try to do something. Not strenuous, but a little bit more active to kind of work up a sweat, and then I'll be a little bit more warm for the uh, for the lift, uh, especially today. So today I did a rep test. I had a fairly successful rep test, and I wanted to make sure I was working up a sweat before I hit those numbers. So could he send greetings to my friend Demora Mello? Greetings, uh, Demora Mello. Yeah, we're getting a lot of comments on the gold mic, so Bane, this is really working. I just uh, took it out, and people love it. Yeah, again, for people just joining Instagram Live, we're on two white lights right now, so all your questions will be answered on two white lights. Yeah, we do the, I do this usually every Sunday, and I got a little bit more demands. I apologize for doing it so late. We had uh, the interview, and then I had to uh, do my rep test as well, so busy Sunday, but it, it's going to happen. Joseph... 907 asks, tips on knowing you broke parallel without a mirror. Um, home run, Cubs. Fantastic. Carlos Gonzalez. Woo! Alright, sorry. Uh, tips on knowing you broke parallel without a mirror. Uh, good, great question. Yeah, uh, I would suggest training with the mirror to kind of see, uh, how your technique is, but also maybe squatting two or three times a week without a mirror, or two times a week without a mirror as well. Uh, that's what I do at least. I used to squat in front of the mirror to tre- check my technique. Technique, I'm, excuse me my technique, and see if there's a hip shift, but for knowing, for not needing a mirror and knowing when you break parallel, uh, I would follow some cues. So with me, when my calf hits my hamstring, that's what I know to pop up. That's usually a sign that I'm getting parallel. Now, there was some kind of pitfalls to that because my knees were going forward and I wasn't getting my hip below my... Um, below the top of my knee, the crease of my hip below the top of my knee. So I would try to um, actually feel my hip drop a little bit. And once I felt that like little piece of fabric uh, sink a little bit and crunkle up, that means that I was getting uh, parallel and that's me uh, below parallel. And that was my cue to shoot up as well. Um, yeah, again, I, I also had like a rubber band effect when I... Um, I, uh, when I would squat below parallel, when I dropped low, I would shoot up pretty quickly. So it was that feeling where I knew when I was getting low because my body would just kind of force myself back up. So, um, I would suggest maybe a slow controlled descent. And once you feel that pop back up and try to stay as controlled as possible. Really good question though. Yeah. Cause you can't use a mirror in competition. Tyler picks things up. Good handle. Said, should I expect my deadlift to suffer a bit from squat and bench my first meet? I know my maxes, but I haven't done all three back-to-back in comp. Um, sometimes people's deadlifts are better in competition. Um, like actually better than their progress one or max. It happens. I don't know if you should expect it to suffer. Uh, but if you're not usually doing them back-to-back, then 
you could have kind of a adverse effect where you uh, don't deadlift as much as you want to, but I, I, I myself do not have any type of issues in meets being fatigued because it's you're they're easier than my workout days. You know, my meets are easier than my workout days. So if my meets are easier than my workout days, it's easier for me to stay a little bit fresh during the meet. So I don't think you you should expect it to suffer. Um, if it does, then it could be another issue. But I think your stamina, your muscle should be good enough for the meat as well. Now, if you're going through a cut and all that kind of stuff, I guess it could decrease. But same time, um, I, I'm confident that you'll be good in it. Good question, though. Greetings from my friend Aquiles Castro. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, good question. Um, again, back to uh, squatting in the mirror. Uh, squatting in the mirror can be good. A lot of powerlifters get away from that. I believe that you should occasionally squat in the mirror to check your form. Uh, for me, for, that would be good for my hip shift, uh, squatting in a mirror. But I squat three times a week, so I could do one mirror squat and then two non-mirror squats as well. Weird question from Instagram. Um, he said it's a weird question, not me. But I noticed before you unrack, you flare your elbows down. What's the reason? Um, this actually could be a technique tip of the week for squat. I flare my elbows down so I could stay more upright. So when I kind of went like this with my, um, with my squat before, and you guys are on Instagram, uh, they could see, but not on the podcast, but I used to flare them out a little bit. That would cause me to get a little bit too much forward and kind of good morning my squat. When I flare my elbows in, that helps me stay more upright and keeps my sternum like pointed to the sky. So elbows under the bar for me, that's a technique tip. I heard uh, Ed Cohen kind of talk about it not being like the greatest thing in the world for it to be the cue. The cue should be your sternum, not your elbows. So yeah, it's not a weird question at all. It's actually a very good question. That's uh, That's a technique thing I've changed in the past. Now... That is also hurting my elbows and my forearms, but uh, it's it's just going to happen. And my wrists as well, because I really have to torque my uh, elbows under the bar. Yeah, really good questions here. Yeah, that wasn't a weird question. I mean, BioNeal's question was weird, but... And we're getting some, uh... Ciao Fratello, what's up, brother? Do you recommend deadlifting more than once a week on a peak? Uh, yes, I do it all the time. Um... I do it for myself, but again, uh, I would have to see where you are in your progress, uh, where you are as a powerlifter, because it's it's going to change for everyone else. It's going to be a little bit more different for person to person. Now, I'm very used to that. Uh, I'm very used to deadlifting twice during a peak. Uh, I deadlift twice a week, you, typically. I actually, during a peak, I squat three times uh, a week and bench twice. Now, I do... Right before my meet, have that deload where I taper off and then hit my one or maxes. But within the you know the two or actually a, a three or four week peak, um, I'm squatting two or three times uh two or three times a week, and uh, deadlifting two times a week, squatting three times a week, and benching three times a week. Not sure if you've seen Lou from China do it, but he flares um up as he goes up. Uh, I have not seen it. Uh, is he low bar squatter? I'm gonna ask that. Um. Yeah, I have not seen, what is it, Lou? Yeah, I don't really know who that is. I might check him out, but uh, if he's a high bar squatter, um, 
again, that cue is just for me. That cue helps me stay upright and keeps my sternum pointed towards the sky. Yeah. Um, he flares them up as he goes up. That makes sense, though, because if you flare them, like, up, like, I don't know if you mean out by up, but it will kind of force you to use, uh, more of your back. And again, using your back on a squat is not the worst thing to do. You just don't want a good morning your squat. Uh, good morning your squat, you could ask me, you could be, Asking for a bad injury. Oh, he's a high bar squatter. All right, I'm going to have to check him out. Uh, and to see exactly what you mean. But, is he Olympic lifter? Sorry to be prejudiced, but he says his name's Lou Chaojun. I think that's how you say it, Chaojun. But, yeah, I'll check him out. All right, we're going to probably go two or three more minutes. Again, any question you guys ask is going to be on two white lights. Okay, so, uh, he is a Olympic lifter. That makes sense. That might actually help him. He could, Olympic lifters are better power lifters staying upright in their squat. That's just, that's, that's a fact. Um, they're, they're better than us. And I could, uh, I could say that with full confidence. Better squatters than power lifters, without doubt. Um, but that's gonna change for a lot of people. Cause I have a very, so Olympic lifters have a very, uh, fast descent down. I, uh, have a very slow descent down, and so do most powerlifters. Not for two white lights, but who's the next guest coming on? Um, good question. We have a long list. We just got done interviewing Eric Stone. We have people, of course, on the list that we want to interview. Now, I dislike saying uh, people who confirm because, you know, it schedules get a little bit convoluted and schedules get a little bit complicated and uh, a little bit messy. Uh, my schedule, band schedule, and other people. So, so I exactly don't know who's going to be on the show next, but we have a really, really great list of guests. If you guys remember the Instagram, uh, the Instagram poll we put up, a lot of really great powerlifters and people within the powerlifting uh, community have responded that they want to be on the show. So, it's coming. Any word on SARMs? Uh, I have no idea what SARMs are as far as like what they do to you. From my understanding, they're a very new thing that's like tests but not tests, which I don't know what the fuck that means. So, um, my, if, uh, if I'm gonna recommend anything, don't take something that's not medically researched a lot because you don't know what the side effects are. Take stuff that you know what the side effects are and you've done your research on and your due diligence. Now, personally, I don't take either of those because they're all banned and I'm a, I am a natural competitor, but um, if you are contemplating it, maybe wait a long time before you start taking SARMs because you don't know the side effects of it yet. So what's my whole deal with Larry Wheels? I don't have a deal with Larry Wheels. Um, I think actually a lot of the powerlifting community has an issue with Larry Wheels right now because he's kind of on influencer status, but again, I said on the show before, I said it many times, he's a great power lifter, he's a great fitness athlete, he's a great strength athlete as well, it's just, um, if I may ask your age, 18, or 17 through 21 year olds are really fucking annoying when it comes to Larry Wheels because they think he pisses gold and is the greatest power lifter, strength athlete, strength slash bodybuilder of all time, and you can't go, like, I don't know, five seconds without someone uh, someone mentioning Larry Wheels, who's in that teenage range, and it's really annoying because it's like the people, it's like the inexperienced lifter is getting all their information from Larry Wheels and no one else, and everyone who isn't Larry Wheels is trash uh, in their 
in their estimate of other powerlifters. So you can post something like a 900-pound deadlift, and someone will comment, oh, Larry Reels did that too. It's like, man, no one gives a shit Larry Reels did it. This guy just did it. All right, I'm going to take a few more questions. Uh, do you drink protein or a lot of food? Um, I do occasionally drink protein powder. That's if I kind of miss a meal or something or want to supplement it in. But I usually stick to foods for that because food is better. I like food. Yeah, a lot of people agree with uh, some um, of my uh, critiques on Larry Wheels. Yeah, I think and also, and I, I we've been critical of him recently, of his influencer status. So that could get occasionally annoying and... Um, it's like, are you a powerlifter? Are you an influencer? Are you going to be the supreme patty of powerlifting? Because I don't want to see that. I don't want to see, you know, the, the, un, like, those influencer videos that think are, they think they're hilarious suck. They're not funny at all. You missed it before, but will my bench ever not be poverty? Uh, probably. I don't know. Everyone has a poverty bench in powerlifting, apparently. It's the most, it's the most cliche thing powerlifters say. Alright, so I'm going to take around, uh, probably two more questions. Uh, bro. What part of Italy are your parents from? They are from Calabria. We are all from Calabria, my family. I don't think there's a whole lot of Sicilian or... Uh, I mean, my sister married a Sicilian, but as far as anything else, I don't know. Um, mostly, yeah, mostly Calabres in my family. That's about it. Yeah, no one from body. As far as my immediate, like, my blood is uh, Calabres. All right, so I'm going to end it on that question. Thank you. I don't speak Spanish. No, but I speak Spanish. Sorry. And I'm going to end on that question, actually. All right. Thanks for tuning in to Instagram Live. And that will do it for Two White Lights. Be sure to follow us on Spotify. We are now on Spotify. So we got the website. We're on Spotify. Be sure to check us out there. We'll see you guys next week. Deuces.